Well, hello, hello. This is Rachel Amaday, and you are listening to The Spiritual Exercises. This is a podcast where we really try to dig into what the scripture says about all sorts of different issues. We do some exegesis of scripture. We talk about the ancient culture and what Jesus was talking to and about when he was speaking. Where did some of the ideas in the New Testament come from? On and on and on. And usually this podcast this week would be a political one. I tend to cover some of the political stories and try to answer analyze them from a biblical worldview, but also maybe just give you some stories that you might not hear if you don't have time to do some research. And I know for so many of you, you parents of kids and you've got jobs and you don't have a lot of time on your hands. And I just happen to be a political news junkie with a broadcast journalism degree. And so I have a nose for a good story. Um, I've also been just blessed over the last few years to see God when he tells me something come through and that that information is accurate. And so I've gotten a lot better at trusting my gut instinct about stories. It doesn't mean I always get things right, but it does mean that I try to include the Lord in understanding what we're seeing happening in the world today. And I will say over the last week, I've talked to many people, and I would include myself in this, who are feeling really discouraged about where things are at globally, economically, where the country is at spiritually, where we're at with our leadership. It has been just a hammering of bad news. I get it. I do believe that we have gone down a path not only of directionless immorality, um, but there are things happening globally and in our country that are becoming incredibly dangerous and highly um, confusing for people because we don't know where to turn. Our institutions, I mean, I would, I would say probably over COVID, most people got used to this concept, but our institutions have failed us. Uh, what we thought we could believe in and think has been taken from us. The people that we were supposed to be able to trust have betrayed us. You know, you name it, whether it's the medical institutions in this country lying and profiting off of the ill health of the American public and the world, whether it is um, watching our judicial system all over the country kind of be all over the map and not really upholding the rule of law, but upholding political opinions and scratching politicians' backs, whether it's the financial system and seeing just how they've played the games just right so that they could make money and the average everyday person would go bankrupt. Um, we've seen the greatest transfer of wealth happen in the last two years to the wealthy in this country's history. I believe I heard the numbers today that it is half a percent of the population owns 90% of the wealth now. That is absurd. And that transfer really happened over the last few years of COVID. It has just gotten really challenging out there. But here's the hope. We do have a savior and he loves us and he has not forgotten and I know that our prayers reach his ears. And I know that when we go to him, he desires to grant us the wisdom we need to navigate hard times. But this week, I'm sure you've been bombarded enough with negative news. And so I wanted to do something 
that I feel is timely. I wanted to talk about salvation. What is it really? Do we really understand the fullness of salvation as it is laid out in scripture? Are we talking about it at the depths that we need to? Because I think one thing we've also seen is a betrayal in church leadership. You know, I was very pleased to listen to an interview, and I think his last name was Foyt. I can't remember his first name. But um, it was a, a guy who is in the documentary called Super Spreader. And this is a man who decided over COVID that he was a worship leader. He was going to hold live worship events outside. He wasn't going to stop worshiping. Lived in California where Gavin Newsom basically came out and said churches need to close, although we'll leave liquor stores and, you know, um, the giant box stores and strip clubs open. Basically said churches can't be open. And not only that, but if you do have church, you can't even sing. And he said, I'm not doing that. That's not right. Something's really wrong here. And so he started holding giant events and held events all over the country. Now, I didn't know he was doing this. I remember back to that time period. I had a couple of friends. We sat down one night and they said, we want to hold live worship events during the COVID lockdowns. And I said, that's exactly what I want to do. Let's try to figure this out. Well, when they went to the bigger churches to try to get them on board, there was not one big church in Colorado that was interested. Not one that we could find. Now, I didn't approach all the churches, obviously, and and they approached some of the bigger ones, but they just weren't interested in putting their necks out there for something like that. And so we did end up, and I believe it was July 2020, we did end up holding a worship, an outdoor worship event in Parker, Colorado, and a bunch of churches came, and it was one of the most blessed unbelievable, beautiful events I've ever gotten to participate in. I just want to thank, by the way, shout out to Compass Church for saying yes and for having the courage to do it and saying we will praise God publicly and we we will defy this because the you know everyone wants to bring up Romans 13, be respectful to you know your governors and those who are over you. But remember in this country, the highest law of the land is the constitution and we have the right to gather together and to praise God as we want to. That is one of the rights that our founders decided was foundational. And this is the reason. Because when they shut down the churches, when they shut down the gyms, when they shut down your AA meetings, when they said that you couldn't see your family, you know what happened? Skyrocketing rates of depression, unbelievable amounts of violence increased. People are not doing well education for children decreased. I mean, you name it, it happened. And people's overall mental and physical health decreased. We are having skyrocketing cases of different types of cancers now, of all sorts of myocarditis, all sorts of things that happened with the medical system and the lies that we were told. But I I remember back during that time period where it was risky to do an event like that and to take off the mask and to sing publicly, I remember deciding I was going to make my choice and my choice would be the Lord God. It would be Adonai first. And I knew that no matter what, he would take care of me. And he did. And he has. And so I look back at hard times and we might be facing really hard times right now. And I think of the times when I chose Jesus, he showed up. But I 
I had already gone down this journey of understanding that <clears throat> your faith without obedience really isn't faith. And the Bible really tells us that. You know, if you want relationship with the Lord and James and John and the Old Testament, we're told relationship is about obedience. So what is salvation? How do we understand the message of the Bible and of Christ? You know, the times are perilous. I believe the moment for decision on who you are going to serve is right now. If you can't feel it, can't you see it? In the news stories and the dark forebodings of war and famine and difficulty, At these times, we either choose the light or perhaps we perish in darkness. It's very rarely, I have very rarely felt the need to re-explain salvation. I mean, doesn't everyone already know it, right? But today we all need something we can share with others that's clear, something to remind us of what it really means to follow Jesus. We need to know, not just guess or hope that we are in Christ. We need to know that we have properly prepared for his coming. It is time to be like the five virgins who had oil in their lamps as the bridegroom approached. We may not have the time to go buy the oil if we wait. Each moment, These moments are for steady and precise analysis of our alignment and relationship with God first. We must pray, and we must dig in to understanding the Word of God more deeply. In John 8, Jesus said this to the Jews who had believed him. Jesus said, quote, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Now listen, at this time, and I listened to a wonderful talk Monty Judah gave on this, um, the Jews, right, they had Abraham. They claimed Abraham was their father. And, And this is true, right? They came from Abraham. And the deal, the covenant that God cut with Abraham was one where he said, I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna give you all these things. But all of your generations as a sign of our agreement, as a sign of who we are, you, you, they're going to be circumcised. You got to get the, you know, all the males circumcised on the eighth day. This will be a sign of our covenant. Okay, so you have these Jews who are holding on to circumcision and they believe in their covenant relationship with God based on the promise of Abraham. Okay, there's really nothing wrong with that on its face, but let's dig in a little bit. Jesus had said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's not just anybody's truth, right? It's his teachings and his truth that sets you free and sets you free from what they're asking because they thought they were already in the Lord. They thought they already had salvation. But Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protest. The only father we have is God himself. 
Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. There is so much, guys, end quote there. There's so much to unpack here. But I think it's very interesting. He's having a conversation with Jews who they thought they were part of the family of Abraham and therefore they had access to heaven. And Jesus says, you don't hear. You don't hear what I say because you're not my father's children. You don't belong to the family, so you can't hear what I'm saying. Sometimes I wonder if um, some of the wolves in sheep's clothing that are in leadership in the church, if they actually don't preach the Bible, they don't hear it. They don't know it because they actually don't belong to the Lord. Now, I can't judge that. Only God can. But you wonder when you open your scripture and you see what it says plainly and clearly and other people twist it, misinterpret it, or completely lie about it. It's because there is a difference in familial status. That word Jesus talks about my words. You can't hear my words, right? You can't hear my word. You can't hear what I say. Um, there's a lot of believers and there's a lot of churches in the West that don't seem to preach the word of God. And so it is, it is a question of, well, who do you belong to? You might proclaim that you belong to God, but you don't live it and you don't preach it. And so we have a disconnect here. We have a problem. If you belong to the family of God, you hear the word, you dig into the word, you love the word, just like David, you understand the word and you're able to properly apply it. But this is also, Jesus is speaking to them about relationship. He's like, you're not in the family. You don't love me. You're not in relationship with me. Right? So they thought they had everything right. They thought they had abided by what they found in the covenant of Abraham. They were circumcised. They were church tending. They were children of Abraham. Yet they could not admit they were sinful. They could not admit they had not adjusted their lives to be in relationship with God as Abraham had. Abraham walked away from everything to follow God. So there's a difference here. In 2 Samuel 22, 1 through 4, 15, and 20 through 24, it says this And David spoke unto Yodhevavhe the words of this song. In the day Yodhevavhe had delivered him out of the hand of Saul. And he said, Yodhevavhe is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my rock. In him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my savior. Thou savest me from violence. I will call on Yodhevavhe, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Yodhevavhe rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of Yodhevavhe and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his ordinances were before me, and as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. 
I was also upright before him and have kept myself from my iniquity. So here we see a whole package happening around salvation, right? Salvation is by the sacrifice of the only one who can accomplish it. It's belief in God because God alone can save, right? He's the only one. We see Yeshua come along and adjust people's understanding of just who it is that is doing the saving. What God are people believing in and what God are we supposed to believe in? Do we know the God of the Bible, the real Savior? Is our relationship actually with Him? And David tells us that he has this relationship, and I quote, For I have kept the ways of yod and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all His ordinances were before me, and as for His statutes, I did not depart from them. Now, we do know that David sinned, Right? But what I think he's describing here is love, that he loves, and that because God is who he is, because God is merciful and good and the ultimate Savior, God imparts that righteousness to him, and that faith and belief, just like with Abraham, that move of faith is accounted as righteousness. But the question is, are we putting our faith in the right God? Who do you put your faith in, and who is your Savior? I think in Christianity, sometimes we find that people believe that you have to be uh, baptized in order to be saved, right? They put it at the same level as the Jews did with circumcision. Well, if you're not baptized, you're not saved. Well, if you're not going to church, you're probably not saved. Well, you know, they put it in all of these actions as well. And it's because I think the issue of salvation is confusing because we have there's simplicity in the fact that Jesus alone can save you. But then there's an outpouring of obedience as a symptom of your salvation, right? Without that symptom, without those behaviors, your faith is claimed by Scripture to be dead. And so we have this tension between salvation and obedience. But what I'm telling you is I believe the entire progress from salvation into obedience is a package. And here's why. We see it in Exodus. I think it's so important, the story that happens in Exodus, where the Jews are rescued by God's hand alone through signs and wonders and miracles from the Egyptians, right? They did not do it of their own accord. They had no weapons of their own. They had no ability to rescue themselves from the Egyptians. And so God goes in and by his hand, they are saved. And then he takes them out to the desert and he says, if you want to be my people now, if you want to be in covenant with me, you have to accept the terms I'm going to give you at Mount Sinai. And the people accept the terms. And so there's this transition. There's God does this unbelievable, beautiful act all on his own with no, no work put in from the people, right? That's the, that's the first part of salvation, That's always the only part that we discuss with people. We only ever discuss the first thing that happens. And then, though, in order for them to be in relationship, God says, okay, I have laid out salvation. I'm the only one that could have done that. You couldn't have done that. Now, if you want to be in relationship with me, we have a covenant. We have terms. I want you to understand how my kingdom operates. You know, if you want to be a citizen of the kingdom, You have to agree to the kingdom terms. And so I think in some ways, sometimes we present a God that doesn't exist to people and, you know, that God will just let you do whatever you want for the rest of your life after you're saved and that he's okay with that. And that's not really accurate, is it? 
That's not real relationship, in fact. That's abuse. And the Bible talks to that abuse in Hebrews and multiple other places of, you know, angering the Lord when you're supposed to be in covenant with Him by continuing in sin and wrecking relationship with God. And we have real questions around this. Like, yes, salvation is beautifully simple and it relies on belief in God and His ability to cover you before the Lord. And this basic belief is the beginning of a holy and solid relationship with Jesus. And I really have no problem with the simplicity of the message there because that message is a part of the entire plan. But the problem is in all of the fallout of that simplicity. Are you once saved, always saved? Is that real? Do good works keep you saved? What if you've read my book and found out that the God you pledged allegiance to is very different than the God you find in scripture? Do you need to have a new conversation with God? What if you get saved but nothing about you changes? What if you can't hear God's voice? What if your sin never leaves? Do you have to be baptized? Do you have to go to the right church? What if you do everything right? What if you never do anything right? Okay, right? We have all these questions around what happens after you have made the decision. And I would call it making the decision to follow Christ, making the decision to accept that free gift of salvation. There are people, historians and others, who believe that there were many Jews who did not come out of Egypt even after God had rescued them. Some people will choose hell, right? Some people will choose their bondage no matter what you do and no matter what the Lord has done. There are going to be so many people who choose to reject that free gift that he gave. And it's not free. It cost him a lot, but it's free to us. But then what? Is that it? Is that the whole picture of salvation? So these are tumultuous and dangerous questions that we are often scared to answer. And I think we have good reasons to because, well, there's some hard stuff in here to face. Matthew 7, 19 through 23. Every tree, and this is a quote, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform any miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Get away from me, you lawless ones. End quote. Something is happening in this story that makes us really uncomfortable. There will be people who believe they should have access to heaven based on their understanding of the relationship with Jesus. Their hopes will be dashed by an unmerciful answer from the king. He never knew them. But they were convinced that they knew him. The final proclamation is, get away from me, you lawless ones. Despite multiple good works, what they did not possess was Yeshua's laws. They performed miracles, drove out demons, and testified on his behalf, but because they did not do the will of the Father, because they didn't even carry the legal instructions of God with them, they really didn't know the Lord. So we have a problem here. Because when we go to the story of Christ at the cross, the thief that was on the cross next to him was brought into heaven, not based on doing the will of the Father, but based on simple belief in Yeshua hanging on the tree. He could see who Yeshua was in that moment. So somewhere in the heart of that thief was submission. And you get the sense that he would have followed Yeshua anywhere after that. He knew. He knew the heart of the God that hung dying beside him. 
But it seems as if the thief had lived his life against God's principles, yet in a moment he could receive the fullness of grace. Hmm. In Matthew 7, 19 through 23, I think we're getting the sense that the people that are rejected felt they had lived their whole lives for Christ, but they didn't receive access because something was missing about their love. What is the message here? If we go back to the start of Matthew 7, we see Yeshua discussing being too judgmental before getting your own life in order. Then he moves into casting pearls to swine. Then he moves into asking, seeking, and knocking. Then he moves to the narrow and wide gates and true and false prophets. So there's quite a span of teaching here. He tells us that you will know the wolves in sheep's clothing by their fruit. Fruit in scripture is almost always about good works. So good trees bear good fruit or good works, and bad trees, bad fruit or bad works. Somehow, I think that the people who hear the rejection of Yeshua in Matthew 7 are wolves in sheep's clothing. They bear bad fruit, yet carry the name of Christ to the world. They are Sadducees who say they love God and do all sorts of things in his name, but ignore his laws in their own personal lives. They are judging the specks in others while ignoring their own planks. They're living all freedom in Christ ideology and never willing to take into account the next step of obedience God may be asking of them. Or maybe there's more. Maybe they take their idea of salvation for granted. It's not about relationship for them, but more about power and performance. It's not about truly knowing God, but instead about promoting their godliness as part of societal acceptance and control. To be in relationship with God requires that we are personally interested in who He is and what He has commanded for us. For us first, not to be used as a battering ram against others. Matthew 7 is a section of scripture about the true understanding of relationship with Yeshua. This relationship requires more than a proclamation of belief or stunning public displays of holiness. This relationship is based on reflective submission, the daily exercise of first removing our own planks and specks, the hard work of pulling the weeds out of our gardens and intently planting God's word in their place. Maybe there's something in between salvation and relationship that we're missing. Accepting the free gift of salvation should be the start of your relationship. But it in and of itself does not make up full relationship. Just a thought. In order to change and be like Yeshua and have that relationship, we must first ask, what is he asking of us? We can change into every incarnation of man-made doctrine, but that may not be what Christ is asking. We must be willing to go to the source, and it must be without our preconceived notions or demands. I harp on this. Yes, I know. But do we really yet know the fullness of that transformation? I don't know it yet. I'm working on it. But I'm not there. Are you? We are told that we are made new creatures in Christ. New. That old has to be going. Is it gone yet? Why not? For all of us, we too often temporarily replace Christ with our own wishes in that moment. It's really hard to keep him on the throne at all times, in all places, and before all peoples. Philippians 2, 12-17 says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will 
and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. In vain. End quote. This working out of salvation is a daily practice. It's not a one-time prayer. To carry a cross takes some mental toughness and physical practice. Each day we are practicing and carrying and pushing and pursuing, even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. This is, I suppose, a question of citizenship. So, maybe you have prayed that sinner's prayer. Maybe you've prayed the prayer of repentance, but since then you've abandoned your relationship with the Lord. And I would say, of all times, now is the time. What is it you have not yet done to be in relationship with God? What is it you have left or set aside or attempted to ignore? Delay no longer. Now is the time. Today is the day. If your king, the one you call king, has asked it of you, it must be first on your list. Declare God's goodness in more than words. Declare it in your allegiance to his laws. Make things right with your brother or sister. Pay back your debts. Observe the holidays that are happening right now, the Feast of Tabernacles. Begin to care about how you care for the temple of the Holy Spirit, your body. Love your family with a servant heart. Stop causing harm and division. Begin giving to the church if you don't already. Observe the Sabbath. Start caring about removing the lawlessness from your life because in the end, you will want want Christ to say that he knows you. This is not about you telling other people to do it. I know I'm doing that here, but I promise you I'm telling myself as well. This is about you and me starting in our own homes first. We start with us. Don't you believe that the sinful produce bad fruit as often as they can? Is the world not increasing in its egregious behavior, its obsession with death and destruction? Do you not see the seeds of darkness enacting slave-like obedience to rebellion against the Almighty every single day? We don't have time to wander about in that enemy territory or to mess around with lukewarm obedience. They are fully obedient to their father, the devil, as Jesus has said. If you claim salvation, then claim it over the sin and death in your life. It's time for us to be fully obedient to our Father in heaven. Claim the blood of Christ from your head to your toes. Claim the release from obedience to death. Become obedient to life. Live out the gift you have received. It's time for all of us to actually make the choice. Are you in or are you out? And do you understand the fullness of salvation and relationship? That salvation is the gift of life and freedom from sin and death. If you still abide in sin, What was it you received? You have to ask. And be ready to love the Lord and be free. Free and whole. Your beautiful free spirit, your wholeness is needed in the world right now more than ever. And God would love to welcome you into his arms. It is true. That first step That first step is just saying, I repent. I need God to clean me from my sin. I need that free gift. But make no mistake, the next steps will be, all right, now come and understand what it means to live in my house, in my kingdom, right? That's what God will say to you. 
He was like, come be my child. I'm going to teach you my ways. You have to be ready for that. But I promise you, it is such a beautiful, miraculous, and marvelous journey. And if you have truly accepted the Holy Spirit, it will be the desire of your heart. I hope I've inspired you to maybe reconnect with the Lord and with areas in your life that you need to change and adjust, especially to prepare for the times that we are in. Prepare yourself from your head to your toes spiritually. Spend that time with God every day. And then please ask him what you need to do to prepare for what is happening physically in our world and how you are going to be the light because you will be. All right, I will be back next week with hopefully maybe we'll find some good news to share. Um, And if we don't, we're going to figure out maybe what God is telling us uh, as we, well, as we continue to try to figure out how to be the light in the world. Till next time.